Well, we have been walking through the Old Testament. Last week we were in the book of Malachi. Today we move into the New Testament. And there's always this question, like what takes place between Malachi and Matthew? Now we know historically there's about a 400-year gap between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament, between the old and the new. They call it the 400 silent years. Like, like what took place during that time? I mean, did God just like disappear? Did he take a break? Did God go on vacation? Did he go down to the Bahamas and hang out for 400 years and then come back in Matthew to, you know, start the story back up? What happened during that time? Well, we know that even though there's not scripture that, uh, that kind of lays out for us during that time what was going on, we do know that God was active. And we know God was active because of history. We can go back into the history books and we can see that what God prophesied, what God told us through the Old Testament in the books that we find there, that we know that during the, the season of that 400 years, God was actually fulfilling prophecy. Remember back in Daniel chapter 2, we were in there a few weeks back. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, remember that? And when he had the dream, uh, he, you know, he told all of his uh, magicians and all of his you know, people that work for him, hey, I want you to come in and I want you to interpret my dream, but you also have to tell me what the dream is. And of course, all of them said, well, there's no way we can do that, right? Except for Daniel. Daniel prayed for God's wisdom and God's revelation. And, and so in a prophetic way, Daniel went before Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, and he told him what his dream was, and he told him what the dream was all about. He interpreted the dream. Well, in that interpretation... And just, you know, it's kind of cool how it all connects here. Don't, don't miss this now. That in Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel gave that prophetic message of the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the fulfillment of that prophecy took place during the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. You see, because Daniel said that statue that would be there that Nebuchadnezzar saw, that it represented four kingdoms. The first kingdom, of course, was Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar led. And then after the Babylonian Empire, we know that the Medo-Persians came in and they became the, the, the dominating empire during that time. And so that was the first and the second levels of that, of that statue that was there. But then there was the Greek Empire that's represented. And that Greek Empire took place and came into power around the time that the Old Testament ended. But listen to this, and this is cool. In 146 B.C., the Roman Empire rose to power. They conquered the Greek Empire. And then in 31 B.C., they completed their domination of the world by conquering and capturing Egypt from the Greeks. And so in 31 B.C., 30 years before we moved into New Testament times, you know, about 28, 29 years before Jesus was born, what's really cool is that the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy took place in that moment because the Roman Empire was that fourth empire. Now, what we also know is that during that time, God was also setting the stage for the fulfillment of prophecy, but also for the, the coming messenger and the coming Messiah. We remember back in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about how there's a messenger that's coming. In Isaiah, he talked about one who will cry out in the wilderness. In Malachi chapter 4, uh, in the last part, the last few verses of the Old Testament, it talked about there will be a coming Elijah. Now, some people might be confused, like, wait a minute, Elijah doesn't show up in the New Testament, but that word Elijah is a reference to a New Testament version of the Old Testament Elijah. And guess who that was? The same person that Malachi 3 talked about, the same person that Isaiah talked about, and that is John the Baptist, the one who paved the way for the coming Messiah. And so that we move into Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Christ that tells the story going all the way through to the point where Jesus was born. And Matthew chapter 2, we, we see what, what took place during that time and, and how the wise men came. And we know that story, that Christmas story that we love so much. 
In Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus being baptized. We see him, you know, going off in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 being tempted by Satan. In chapter 4, beginning his earthly ministry. In chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, powerful teaching and preaching that Jesus gave that really, if you could just like, like if you could lock in on those three chapters and figure out how to do that for the rest of your life, you'd be in a really good place. And then we come to Matthew chapter 8. He continues to heal. He calms the storm. And then we come to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. Now, I told you a moment ago, we're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over the next four weeks. And just so you know, that while Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are four distinct books, different books, that there is a correlation between them. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to hit a lot of the gospel story. But today what I wanted to do is start, and I believe, kind of a picture of what God wants us to see of our responsibility in the New Testament times. And by the way, we're in the New Testament times. Like, what is God's responsibility for us? So let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's pick it up with verse 9. Just five quick verses that I want to read to you today. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And so as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And while he was, Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this passage is coming to give you a little bit of context, a little background here. Before we jump into just four quick thoughts that I want to give you that we can learn about our responsibility as it relates to the New Testament times. So Jesus is there in the, the Sea of Galilee area, the Galilee region. He's healing, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing all these incredible things. And then one day he walks out of Capernaum, and that's what sets the stage here in chapter 9. He walks out of Capernaum, he's walking by the, the water there, and he sees the, the IRS office of that day. And so he sees the IRS office, the tax office, and he sees a guy there named Matthew, and in other gospels he's called Levi, but he sees him there, and he just says, follow me. And so understanding now that during that time, we got to recognize like people hated tax collectors. <laughs> Sound familiar? Uh, I mean, it kind of like, like the same thing that was 2,000 years ago is probably pretty similar to what it is today. Like, like these people were considered sinners, but, but not just sinners. We're all considered sinners. These people were reviled. They hated them. They, the tax collectors were people that no one wanted to be around. And there's reasons for that. And that's why this, this little small passage here in Matthew chapter 9 is so important and why we can learn so much about what it is that God expects from us, okay? And so I just want to give you like four quick thoughts from these five verses that can help us see our responsibility in this culture, in this time, in this season of the New Testament church of what we're to do before Christ returns, okay? And the first thing we see from this passage is this, is that God wants to use all of us. Like every single one of us. Go back again, verse 9. So Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Again, tax collectors were hated. If we went back, uh, let's see, about a, actually now, what, three and a half weeks maybe to uh, May the 15th or May 17th, I guess it was, when taxes were due. How many of you honestly could say, I hate the tax man? Just raise your hand, right? 
I mean, we all hate to give money up. And back then, it was the exact same thing. They hated the tax collectors for a number of reasons. Like, well, first, because nobody wants to give the government our money, right? And, well, some people do, but that's, we're not going to talk about that. Nobody wants to give the government our money. So they hated them for that reason, but they also hated them because they looked at them as traitors. They looked at them as people who were Jews who had turned their back on their brothers and their sisters and were now working for the hated Roman Empire. They were people who had turned their backs on their family, turned their backs on their friends, and now were serving the man. They were taking care of the Roman Empire, and so they were hated for that. They were hated also because, as tax collectors did in that time, that not only did they collect the taxes, they collected far more than that. They had a racket going. They figured out how to take more than actually what was owed. And there was nothing that the people could do about that because if they complained about it, they would be punished. They would be jailed. And sometimes they might even be killed. And so the tax collectors had a really good racket going. They could do whatever they wanted and no one could say a thing. Sounds a little bit like the government today. But anyway... That's why they were hated so much. And so when we ask ourselves the question and we look at the statement that God wants to use all of us, it's interesting and we cannot miss this. The reason that it said that he saw this man, man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, there's a lesson in that. That's not just a phrase that's thrown out. That's not just a statement that's given in that moment. It's to teach us a lesson, and that's this, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad that you've been, no matter how many times that you've blown it, you can never get too far away from God that He can't use you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good lesson. Because I know this, I'm 54, and I go back and look back through my life, I look back through my history, I look back, you know, into my teen years, and in my college years, and, and my adult years, and here's what I know. I've blown it a million times, I really have. And probably in those times and in those moments, probably I could look back and say, man, God can't use me. There's somebody far more qualified, far more talented, far more able they're far more close and, and committed. There's somebody who's definitely doing this a lot better than I am. God can use someone else. God can't use me. And I think probably if we were honest with ourselves in this room, there's probably been a moment in your life that you thought the same thing, where you thought the exact same thing, like God can't use me. And here in Matthew chapter 9, in the opening pages of the New Testament, Jesus in a, in a very you know, crystal clear way helps us to see and to understand that no matter who you are and what you've done, even though the reviled, the hated, the people who've messed up so many times, God can still use you. And we need to understand that and know that because the reason God wants to use all of us is because the second thing we learn here is because God cares about all of us. God cares for every single one of us. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 10. And while he was reclining at the table in the house. Now, again, that's a phrase that if you were just kind of blowing through Scripture, not really paying attention to it, you'd miss why that's so important, okay? So let me give you some context. And again, some of the other Gospels talk about this. So Matthew, after he got up and he left the tax office and, and he followed after Jesus, it said that he decided to throw a big party. He wanted a big party. He threw a big banquet, a big dinner party, so that all of his friends could meet Jesus. He wanted everybody he knew to come and meet Jesus. And so it says that while Jesus was reclining at the table, the picture here is that Jesus now had agreed to go to the tax collector, the sinner, the reviled's house, that he's there. He's gathered together with all the other tax collectors and sinners and reviled. It says that in the rest of this passage. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. The picture is this. 
that God actually wanted to spend time with people that the world says are not worth spending time with. And the picture we get from that is this, is that God actually cares about all of us. And why would that be true? Why do we look at this passage and we understand that that is absolutely uh, very true? It's because this is Jesus came and because he truly loved everyone, he cares about all of us, and he actually wanted to do whatever he could to reach the people that everyone else said is not worth reaching. And so here's a question for you. Like, how does that line up with your outreach efforts? How does that line up with like what you do in your walk with Christ of reaching the people that maybe don't agree with you, don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't act like you, don't like you, people who don't vote like you, people who might be completely different, people who are so far from God. Here's what Christians are really good at. We're really good at being like the Pharisees. We're really good at being like the ones that like look down on those who are away from the church and not in there. We're good at that. And that's why it's so important that we don't miss the message that Jesus chose to go hang out at a party. And when he went to that party, it was a party full of people who were far from God. And here's the reason, because God cares for us all. So are we doing the same thing? How does that line up with you? Now, that's an important question. We've got to figure that out. Why? Because the third thing we learned from this is that the reason that Jesus went and hung out with them is because God's desire is to reach more of us. Like he's not happy with the size of the church today. You know, he's not happy with just how many people gather together on Sundays in churches all around the world, millions of people who claim to follow Christ, who say that we are Christians. He's not happy with that number. Why? Because Luke tells us in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, that God is not willing that any should perish. Look what it says in verse 11. And so when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? The answer is obvious. The answer is clear. It's because Jesus wanted to reach them with the gospel. Jesus actually cared about the lost. And man, what a great lesson for the church today. Because man, we are awesome at the holy huddle, aren't we? We're awesome at figuring out how to get together on Sundays and worship. And, and man, we get in this bubble, we get in this life, we get hanging around with people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, believe like us. I mean, we, we're really good at that. We're really bad at walking outside of the bubble and actually caring about a world that is lost and going to hell. And so in Matthew chapter 9, after Jesus called Matthew, and after he was hanging out at the party, he also wanted to make sure that we understood that there was a reason behind what he did. He cares about all of us. He cares about us. He wants more of us to follow after him. He wants to build the kingdom. And so while we talked about just a moment ago that none of us can ever get too far away from God that he, um, you know, that he, that he can't use us, we also must recognize here that none of us could ever get too far away from God that he cannot save us. So like no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, man, we look in our world today and our culture today, we probably could make a good case for some people out there in the world today that like, man, they are so bad. They've done such bad things. There's no way that God could ever save them. And yet here's God's word saying, huh, yep, I sure can. And man, we need to learn that lesson because as Pharisees, the Pharisees were looking at those tax collectors and sinners and saying, they have no business hanging out with the teacher. 
They have no business being considered valuable in the kingdom of God. And yet God's word says, yeah, they do. Because Jesus came to save them. And so we know that God wants to use all of us. We know that God cares about all of us. We know that God has a desire to reach more of us. But also we see this, is that God actually expects more from us. Look in the next few verses when Jesus responded to the Pharisees' questions. Verses 12 and following. So now when he, when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now go back to that verse 13 there, the first part of that verse. Go and learn what this means. Now think about what Jesus was doing here. Jesus had not been on the scene very long. He'd just shown up in ministry. He'd just shown up in preaching and teaching. And he'd, like he'd been there, just, he was a new guy on the block, right? New kid on the block. And here he is telling the religious leaders, the people in charge, hey, go and figure out what this means. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, he's telling those who were in charge, hey, quit looking down on the world that God wants to save. Have mercy on them. Love them. Care for them. Reach out to them. And that's what really matters. Why? Because the people who are sitting in the church, you know, hey, they don't need the doctor. The well don't need the doctor. It's the sick. So do you see kind of the message that we're given here? Like clearly we understand from God's Word. From this little, small little passage, it's found like right in the, the opening pages of the New Testament in a new season and a new time where God makes it clear. Like it doesn't matter who you are, God wants to use you. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been, God cares about you and everybody else. And God wants to reach as many people as possibly can and He wants to use us to help Him do it. But God expects a higher action out of us. That we get to the place in our journey in our lives where we just recognize and understand we've got to live differently than the world. God loves the world and we better as well. That we better lean into what that means and what that looks like. To be the kind of people that will do as Jesus told us on his last days here when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because God cares about us all. So the message we get is clear. That unlike the Pharisees, whose primary mission was figuring out how to, to look down on those and to say that these people don't even deserve to be in the presence of God, what God wants us to get is this. God wants us to understand that there's no one who can ever be outside of the love of God. Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now listen, today, there's kind of like two audiences, right? So there's the one audience of the people out here who are sitting there thinking, man, I've messed up and I've blown it. There's no way God could love me. And yet here we have this passage that clearly says, oh yeah, yeah, he can. And he does. And not only does he love you and he care about you, but he wants to use you. He wants to reach you. He wants you to be called his child. And so you might be sitting here watching and listening today and maybe you think, man, I could never be of value to God. And God's word clearly, clearly tells us, yes, you are. The second group, the second audience is this. The people who've been like the Pharisees. 
who look down on the world, who look down on people different than them, who look down on people who look like, act like, talk like different than, than what we are comfortable with, that we desire, the people that we like to hang out with, and the people who walk like us and believe like us. The Pharisees were really good in that crowd. The Pharisees are really bad when it comes to the people outside of that crowd. And what Jesus wants us to learn is this, is I have called you to go into that world and to let them know that the same God who loves you loves them too. So regardless of which like camp you're in, regardless of which audience that you might be coming from today, know this, God expects more from us. God expects us to love him, to believe in him, to believe that Jesus is his son, that he died and that he rose again. God expects us as followers of Christ to, to live differently than the world and, and to reach out and to care and to love the world as he does. And we better be found faithful in both. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for the challenge that we have. Because God, I got to be honest, we're really good at being Pharisees. We're really good at being comfortable with those who are like us. We're really good at being antagonistic to those who are not. So Father, I pray that today that we would just come before you with repentant hearts to say, God, we're sorry. God, we've blown it. We've messed up. God, we need to recognize that we have a duty and a responsibility to love all like you do, to reach out to all like you do. And the very fact that this passage tells us that Jesus went to that party and he's reclining there, given the, the image, the picture here, that he was comfortable there, that, that those were people that he wanted to be with. God, I pray that you would give us that same desire to reach out beyond our bubble, to reach out beyond our world, to reach the world that desperately needs to know who you are. And God, if there's somebody here today that, that, Lord, doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Father, I pray that today that they would see and understand what it means to follow Christ. That Jesus, you're the answer. And that no matter what we might come up with, no matter what we might believe about ourselves or about religion or about Pharisees or whatever, whatever it is that we've conjured up in our mind that makes us believe that we're not worthy, God, I pray that you would just speak truth into their hearts right now and let them know that you love them, that Christ died for them, that he rose again for them, and that today that they can be called a child of God. And for that, we give you the praise. In a moment, we're going to stand together as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Charles is going to lead us. The altar is going to be open. Our team is gathered here. And I just want to encourage you today, regardless of which camp that you come from, today, if you want to meet Christ, man, our team would love to talk with you about that. Today, if you want to come down here and kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry for being a Pharisee, maybe you need to do that. Maybe you want to come down here and just pray, God, I, a prayer of dedication over your life and your family. Hey, God, use us, Lord, to be light in a dark world. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you, telling you today, I just encourage you to act on that right now. Charles, would you lead us as we stand? The altar's open right now. Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me everything I need is in you everything I
that you would guide us and lead us and use us. Lord, make our hearts available to you. Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. And God, we pray that as you do so, that you would use us to help reach this world with the gospel. And for that, God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Come back again 5 o'clock tonight. We'll see you next Sunday. And don't forget, make your plans. A couple weeks, great things are happening as we walk through God's Word. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.